Today we're going to be in the third week of perspectives. We're calling this one Cross Providence. This one uh, by title shouldn't make much sense, but hopefully by the time we're done it will. Let me start with a story. I'm going to start the story now. I'm going to finish it at the end. So if you leave before I'm finished, you are never going to know how this story ends, all right? Hopefully you care enough to stay. There was a man who lived a ways back named William Carey. William Carey went to a country called India because God sent him there. And he started translating the Bible into the native language, Bengali. And he got a printing press together. He translated the New Testament first and the Old Testament. He began printing it and distributing it. And guess what happened? It's a big fire. It burned down the entire press. There were other, two other guys that worked with him. Uh, years of work had gone into this, and it burned to the ground, and everything was lost. Now, Kerry knew that God had sent him there. He was clearly doing God's work there, and the place burned down. Have you ever had a point in your life where you knew what you were doing was fully in God's will, but God seemed to work diametrically opposed to you? He, he seemed to push completely back when you were doing absolutely what you should be doing. Well, today in Genesis 39, we're going to look at an example in Joseph's life, where Joseph was living in complete and utter obedience to God, and it looks on the surface like God was working against Joseph despite his obedience. So we get into that story, we're going to see how it applies to our lives and how cross-providence is really an illusion that we need to be very aware of. So let's get into the text and uh, open it up a little bit after we read it. So Genesis chapter 39 reads, Now Joseph had been, bought, had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him, had bought him excuse me, from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Let's stop there for a minute. The first thing we need to do before we can deal with the issue of God seeming to work against us when we're fully in his will is to understand how we know we're in God's will. If I'm outside digging a 12-foot trench and it rains and the trench fills in with mud, am I really building a trench that God wanted me to? gets a little questionable that way. But when we're doing something clearly that God tells us to, that we can know from the Bible, we can, we can deal with the issue. I've set you up to a point where you're going to see that Joseph was clearly working in God's will. Okay? Joseph is going through a time of great prosperity. We're going to back into that comment in a minute. But just understand what's going on with Joseph. So Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Everything he's doing was being blessed by God for his sake, Joseph's sake, in Potiphar's house. And look what happens. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? As he spoke to Joseph, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. 
But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words, that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. The first thing you and I need to do is to recognize a test when it comes. You ever watch TV, and all of a sudden that green line comes across? Beep, beep, beep. This is a test. This is only a test. If this were a real emergency, and I've turned the channel by that point, so I don't know what would happen with a real emergency, but do you know the line I'm talking about? Wouldn't it be nice if as we went through life, we'd walk into a situation, and we have this weird thing come across our eyes, and we hear, beep, beep, and God's voice says, this is a test. This is only a test. This could be a real emergency if you're not careful, but if you obey me, you'll get through this test just fine. Wouldn't that be nice? One of the problems we have in recognizing tests is that we get successful. Joseph was successful. Joseph was being blessed in everything he did. So he was bought as a slave, remember? That's where we started in 39.1. He was placed in charge of Potiphar's whole house. Now this wasn't some three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house in the outskirts of Egypt. This was, this was a palace. Potiphar was, was the head of the secret service for Pharaoh. He was, he was a man of power and prestige. And Joseph made it to the top of that. So Joseph went from being a slave to being a servant with slaves of his own. He was second only to Pharaoh, or to Pharaoh, to Potiphar. We'll get to the Pharaoh part in a couple weeks. He was being blessed, he was prospering, he was being promoted, and things were going good. How's that look for us? You fatten a bank account, you take a couple promotions, you have people tell you, you are so awesome, you are so great, or, or someone might say to you, if you're at Panera one day, you're so smart. <laughs> and you start to feel real good about yourself. Now, now Joseph, not only was he being successful, it says down here, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. You know what that means? Simply could read, Joseph was a stud. The man, the man looked good, he was smart, he was successful, he had everything going for him. That, that's how it should be, right? Well, that's a dangerous position to be in. The Bible doesn't say that it's bad to be wealthy, successful, and good-looking. There are plenty of, of wealthy, successful, good-looking people in the Bible. It does say, though, that it can corrupt your heart if you're not careful. Joseph knew he needed to be looking out for the And sometimes when things go good in our lives, that beeping gets awful quiet. And the more successful we get, the less we have to depend on God, because you know we're the second best thing to God himself when we have everything going for us, right? Well, when that happens, we often fail to recognize a test when it comes. The first thing we need to learn and to remember from this is, don't get caught up in success. Everything you have, everything you can do is from God. You ain't that great. You didn't do it on your own. If, you're, if you are wealthy, good-looking, promoted beyond belief, the second most powerful person in the company, or even the most, don't let the success go to your head, because you will miss the beep, beep, beep. See, like how the battery died there. 
That's the first thing we see in Joseph's life. Recognize the test. That is a critical component to what goes on. The second thing, when we get to verse 7. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Well, Joseph caught the beep. He recognized the test was coming. Now he's in the test. It's test taken time. Notice something very interesting here. In verse, um, verse 9 into 10. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he wouldn't listen to her. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What's sin? Joseph didn't say, we don't know Potiphar's wife's name. We just know she was a bad gal. He didn't say, bad gal, your husband will find out. He'll kill us both. This will be horrible. No. He didn't say, well, listen, can you keep it quiet? I don't want to get caught. He didn't say, I wonder who would know or how they'd find it. He didn't look for the angle to work. He recognized sin for what it was. Because guess who always knows what you're doing? We've been talking about God's sovereignty, providence, goodness, a couple other big terms, omniscience and omnipotence. God is everywhere. God knows everything. You don't sneak a sin by God. You know, you don't, the pickpocket isn't so slight of hand that God misses it. You know, God says, whoa, where did you get that woman's purse from? I did not see that happen. Oh, he knew. He knows everything we do. And as Christians, we need to realize something. God loves us so much that he won't let sin go by unaddressed because it will destroy us. It will destroy other people if not addressed. And if we so choose to be slaves to God, douloses, bondservants of Christ, God will love us enough to deal with sin very deliberately in our lives. Sin is anything that goes against God's will. Don't ever try to rationalize sin as being okay. It's always bad because it's not good for us because it goes against God's will. Joseph recognized what was going on. This would not be an offense against Potiphar. This wouldn't be an offense against Potiphar's wife. This wouldn't ruin his family's reputation. This was simply wrong in the sight of God, and he knew what that was. He knew what sin was. So he knew what was going on. He knew what sin was, and he had his bag packed. Do you know the federal government tells us we should have an emergency readiness kit? You know about that? Bottled water, canned goods, duct tape and plastic wrap. I don't know if that's to suffocate yourself after the food runs out or what, but that's what you're supposed to put in the bag. The Bible tells us we're supposed to have a preparation, an emergency readiness kit as well. Did you know about that? There's no duct tape, there's no bottled water, there's living water. How do you like that time? But there are things we should put in. The first thing you've got to put in your emergency readiness kit is an increasing trust in God. The second thing is an increasing knowledge of the Bible. The third thing is the armor of God. And if you're really paying attention, you can say, Pastor John, you're supposed to wear the armor of God and not pack it. I understand that, but this is an illustration, so bear with me. And the last thing is prayer. Now, you can put more in the bag if you like. But if we don't always work in growing in our faith, an increasing trust in God, an increasing understanding of what the Bible says, donning the armor of God that we looked at in Ephesians a couple weeks ago, and being in communication with God through prayer, we will not be equipped to handle the tests that come our way. So you've got to have the, the pack ready. You've got to be carrying it all the time. You have to recognize what sin is. Joseph did that, and then something happened. Potiphar's wife would speak to Joseph day after day, and what does it say in verse 10? He would not listen to her. Verse 11 tells us, one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, but what did he do? He left, and he fled. When, when I was a kid, I remember the fireman came to school. If you've been to preschool or kindergarten, you remember the fireman coming to school. 
little boys and girls, fire is dangerous. We'll do the biblical version. Pastor comes to school. Little boys and girls, sin is dangerous. You don't want to mess with fire, you'll get burned. You don't want to mess with cell stuff, okay? But what did the fireman say to do if you caught on fire? What are the three steps? Stop, drop, and roll. Do you know the three steps of avoiding sin? See, the pastor never came to your school, did he? (laughs) You see how bad it is to have the pastor not come to your school? Recognize, respond, and run. It's more important than stop, drop, and roll. And I made it up, and I'm copywriting it, and it's going to every school. (laughs) Recognize, respond, and run. You and I need to be paying attention to the beep. I don't want to do it three times. We need to be paying attention to the test. We need to recognize a test when it comes. A test is a test if we respond to it God's way. If we want to stumble through it, it becomes a temptation, and then the devil loves that. We need to recognize it. Then we need to respond to it. We need to be resistant. We need to be saying no daily, again and again. And there are times when we need to flood it, when we need to run it. Joseph ran. Let me be clear here. When I say run, I don't mean that if you come across a test and you think, oh my gosh, I have this slight desire to sin, I need to run, you missed my point. Because you'll live in your basement. You'll seal off the windows, you'll cut all electricity to your house, and you will will never leave your basement. Because if you do, you will face something that will tempt you. Jesus was tempted. He just never gave in to temptation. What I mean is something like this. Know your boundaries, folks. If you're an alcoholic, you might not want to go to a bar by yourself after a bad day. You know, if, if you have friends that are going to a bar, you might consider uh, who those friends are and if you should really be going and if they would love you enough to say, uh, no, don't drink that. The fact of the matter is if you're an alcoholic, your friends probably aren't going to invite you to a bar if they're really good friends. Other people can go to bars just fine. Know your weaknesses. It becomes very clear when you've got your emergency readiness kit packed. What will cause you to stumble more likely? When you get to a point where you feel as if you might stumble and you become desperate, you know what you do? You get running. You get fledding. Joseph did. He flew out the door. Nobody was home but Potiphar's wife and Joseph. And she tried to grab him. And he ran. There are times in our lives when we're sitting in the face of sin and we got to get out of there. Don't miss that. Don't, don't be afraid to run if it's more than you can handle. And this is not just dealing with this type of sin. It's with anything there is. Now, notice Joseph dealt with this day after day after day. It's not like Potiphar's wife said, Joseph, come lie with me. He's like, bye! He, he was there day after day after day. He came back too. It doesn't say Potiphar hunted him down in the wilderness to imprison him. He got out of the situation in which sin was. But the first thing you need to do is what? What are the three R's? Recognize, Recognize sin for what it is. This helps you understand sin. God will beep a blaring beep in your ear if you so want to know what sin is. When you see the test, what do you need to do with sin? Resist it. When you get to a point where resistance becomes next to impossible, get running for a little bit. You can come back, but get out of the immediate situation. It's creating boundaries of safety that we need to have around us. Well, after this all goes through, you would say, Joseph, Joseph, what a man after God's own heart. Look at this. Now realize, Joseph isn't some 90-year-old guy in a walker with advances from Potiphar's wife, you know. Oh, sweetie, I'm 90. I can't deal with that stuff. Joseph was a kid. He's probably 18, 19, 20 years old. He's prime picking. From a worldly perspective, there's no way Joseph should have resisted day after day after day, should he? 
And there's no reason whatsoever. But he did. Joseph was facing a lot of, a lot of uh, temptation, and he, he did it perfectly, right? Shouldn't God have had like, like angels come down to Joseph and he gets high fives from Gabriel and Michael like Joe, Joe, way to go but look what happens to Joseph he goes to prison yeah, isn't that how it should play out God, thank you so much for blessing my faithfulness with a penitentiary stay of a couple years, Joseph didn't know how long he'd be there, he thought it would be a lot longer thank you so much, you are so good and wonderful in your life when you go all out I mean all out and you do something fully in God's will, and he throws one of these things your way, what's your first reaction? Is it praise God, or is it, hello, did you miss something? Did I do something not good enough? Give you a couple examples. Take an investment banker who works in a firm with three partners. And these guys say, you know what, we have this great uh, investment we should get in. Oh, it's highly illegal. It's all insider information. We're going to make a killing and nobody's going to know. And this guy decides that he's not going to do it because he loves the Lord and he wants to live his life for the Lord. And, and he says, guys, I'm not involved. The other partners make a ton of cash. Guess what happens to the guy who didn't get involved? He's out of a job. Does that seem right? I'll give you a more practical example, financially speaking, tithing. You ever get to a point, you can speak from experience, you say, I am, I am going to tithe. I'm not only going to go with the town, I'm going to go over the tent. And God blesses that with a lower income and a savings account that drops. And you start to think, well, hmm, I was going to do it for a while, but if this is how we're playing ball, God. You know, I can tone this down on you a little bit. I, should we meet in the middle like we're going to negotiate? Let's meet at five. I can handle five. I can, you know, the bank account will balance out nicer. You ever get to one of those points? doesn't have to be financial. Anything in your life. I'll give you a non-financial issue. Oh, four years ago, maybe five. What month? It was actually this, this, time, this time of year, about five years ago. I lived in Chicago. And Laura and I were trying to figure out what we should be doing after seminary. Now, little secret, I didn't want to be a pastor. I love being a pastor now. I didn't want to be a pastor. I was told in seminary, if you could do anything besides be a pastor, do it. And, and I would try it. And I understand why. Because uh, if you're not doing this because God called you to do it, you, you're going to have a little trouble with it. But God convinced me, no, I was supposed to be a pastor. It's a long story for another day. And we found a church out here that we were 117% sure that God called us to come to. I mean, one of the, it was no audible thing, but we just knew dead on spot clear that's what we were supposed to do. Now, we had no family or friends out here. We were leaving everything that we knew, friends, everything of comfort behind in Chicago. We were going to be so tight financially, we didn't quite know how it would work, but we knew if God called us, it would be fine. And, and out we came. And when I arrived, I kind of felt like there should be a ticker tape parade in heaven in my honor. Look at Pastor John's amazing, amazing obedience. He went all the way from Chicago in an air-conditioned car with movers carrying his stuff out to downtown Pat. What deep faith he has. I expected, you know, wouldn't you expect? And we arrived, and I had my prison experience. We showed up at a place that we knew we were supposed to be at, and one of the first things we found out was there was a little misunderstanding on income, oh, 15, 20% misunderstanding, and it wasn't in my favor. Well, Pico and the mortgage company weren't willing to renegotiate, so that was going to be a little problem. And then things started to happen where uh, I was finding out I wouldn't be allowed to do the things I was told I'd be coming out to do. 
uh, saw some things going on that just blew my mind and began to get really angry with God, if I could be honest. God, why? Why would you, why would you take us from Chicago all the way out here for this? Don't you know? I first went to seminary. I left my corporate job, sold the house, used it to pay for seminary. Then we're there. We come all the way out here, and there it is. Oh, great. You're great. God, you're, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Bad attitude, but I had it. Well, for about a year, I lived in a prison experience, and I was bitter for a large part of it with God because I couldn't understand why God would do that to me. Why would God, why would I be in God's will completely and deal with this? And what I found out were, uh, was initially that I had a lot to learn. Not about church, so that was part of it, but more so about myself. And that experience I had, God used to shape me, to knock a whole bunch of rust and sin off of my life, and prepare me to do what he would have me do next. You'll see that happened with Joseph. God was not working against me. God wasn't ignoring my obedience, and no, my obedience didn't require a ticker tape parade. It, it was no great feat of obedience. It was simply doing what God clearly told you to do. But when I look back on that situation now, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. In the midst of it, if I knew a tenth of what I knew going into the situation, I would have never left Chicago. Now I'd do it again ten times over because I could see what God was doing through it. In the midst of it, it became very difficult to understand but after it, it became so much more clear. You and I, as we pointed out two weeks ago, live in the middle of the story. We live in the middle of the book, in the middle of the chapter. We don't know how it plays out. Joseph didn't know how it played out. He went to prison. For how long? I don't know. He didn't know. I know. He didn't know. Why did God put him in prison? He didn't know specifically. Why does God cause things in our life to not work exactly how we want them to? Guess what? In the middle of the story, you don't know. But guess who does know? God knows. And when Joseph looked back on his life, do you think he complained about his prison experience? No. Do you think he praised God for his prison experience? Absolutely. Is what I'm saying in effect that God blessed Joseph's obedience in Potiphar's house and before Potiphar's wife with a, a penitentiary stay of two years? Absolutely. Did God bless my obedience with a penitentiary stay of a year? Absolutely. Was it really a horrible thing? No. It was my lack of faith and trust in God and forgetting to remember two things. First thing, Philippians 1.6. It's another verse for you. Simply summed up like this. God finishes what he starts. He who began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. When we came to faith, remember we're saved by faith through grace so that no one can boast. Do you know what the end of that verse says in, in verse 10? It says that God created us to do good works. You hear the ending? works. God didn't make us to do some one thing for him and then he gets rid of us. God has a plan for our entire life. And as we go through life, he's preparing us to do the next thing constantly. Well, sometimes it looks a little backwards from where we sit, but it's not because we need to remember that God finishes what he starts. God wasn't dumping me in Downingtown, Pennsylvania to rot until I died because that's not what the Bible says God does. The second thing is there's no out of control with God. you know how silly I feel now yelling to God, Why did you do this? What's wrong with you? How are we going to pay the bills? They lied to us. They tricked us. Where, where, where? There's no out of control with God. If I were Joseph, how could you send me to prison? I can't stand prison. I was doing everything you said. Where? There's no out of control. Everything is in complete control with God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You remember that verse? 
talks about the secret things belong to God. It says the secret things belong to the Lord or God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. When you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what's up, but you feel like God's working against you, think about Deuteronomy 29.29. He ain't working against you, folks. He's working with you. We just don't understand why. How did I start this sermon? Anybody still with me? Thank you. William Carey. You want to know how that story ended? Well, he died, and that was it. Printing press burned down. He lived in a just mindless oblivion for 60 more years, and then he went to heaven. Isn't that encouraging? It's not really how it played out. Six weeks after the press burned down, funds had come in for the printing press to be rebuilt. Word got out back in England where Carey came from of what happened, and churches all over the country began sending funds to build the press back up. Not only that, other people decided that God was, or felt that God was um, calling them to be involved in the work in India. And they went and joined Kerry in this work. And see, that's not it either. I wrote this down so I don't miss any of it. Kerry ended up founding 26 churches in India, 126 schools teaching 10,000 students. He translated the Bible into 44 languages, founded the first medical mission, the first savings bank, the first seminary, the first girls' school, and that's really not all. Did God forget about William Carey and burn down the press? Was God working against William Carey when the press burned down? What do you think? When God sent Joseph to prison for his obedience before Potiphar's wife and knowing what sin was and was responding to the test, did God forget about Joseph? Was God working against Joseph? I told you how this story plays out three weeks ago, remember? You'll see it as we go through the coming weeks. Was God working against Joseph? Think of all those things in your life where you have been faithfully obedient to God and it seems like God is working against you. Remember, you're living in the middle of the story. Can I ask you a question? Is God really working against you? Did God forget about you? Did God leave you out to dry? Well, that's a decision that you're going to have to come to on your own. But I think the answer is pretty clear. Three things for application I want you to take from this story. Take these seriously, folks. Are there areas in your life where you're having great success? If so, make sure you're not letting it go to your head. Maybe there aren't areas in your life where you're having great success right now. Well, guess what? You've got perfect preparation time. Because when success comes, you'll be ready to handle it. Take that seriously. Number two, are there any areas in your life where you're sinning or considering sin? Don't. Recognize, resist, and run. Let me camp on that a minute. We all struggle with sins of various types. I don't care if you're two years old or 102 years old, there are areas in your life where there's sin. That's why Jesus came. It's important that we take times. Daily is not a bad thing. Weekly is, is uh, stretching it, but that's important. Where we sit down before God and we ask God to convict us of areas in our life where we've allowed sin to creep in. We need to let God convict us and we need to violently let him rip it out of our lives because if we don't, it's going to go bad in a hurry at some point. We're not properly prepared. We need to make sure that in every area that we know God's will clearly, we need to be walking in it fully. Don't let yourself lie to yourself. But if I do that, it's not going to work out. That ain't true. It worked. Everybody in the Bible worked perfectly for it. Everyone who's in heaven today will tell you it's a lie. And folks, we know it's a lie. We need to be willing to trust God in every single area where we know His will clearly to walk in it in full obedience. 
there are enough areas where we know specifically and exactly what to do that we can, we can do that. There are other areas where it's a little bit gray. The gray becomes a lot more clear when we're fully obedient in the black and whites. Make sure that you are walking in direct and immediate obedience to God in those areas. Don't dabble with it. You know, remember the fireman? Don't play with matches, you'll get burnt. Dabbling with stepping outside of God's will is a lot worse than playing with matches. Oh sure, it's fun to kids. I remember, I'll stop the recording. I remember as a little kid, you know, going with my friend David, I won't use the last name, and we were down the street with a Lysol can and matches. <laughs> it was a blast. I don't know how we didn't die. It's dangerous. My kids did that, we'd have a problem. Well, sin's worse than Lysol and a match, because it always blows back on you at some point. The third thing. Are there areas in your life where you're being fully obedient to God, but things don't seem to be going right? In fact, they seem to be going horribly wrong. If that's so, make sure you don't believe the lie. Nothing is going horribly wrong. You've not been forgotten. You're in the perfect place because God's preparing you perfectly. And as you get further along in the story of life and you look back, you'll go, oh boy, wasn't I a whiner? At least that's what I say. Well, you might say, oh boy, wasn't my faith awful weak? God sure did know what he was doing. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee not that I'm making to you. It's a guarantee that God makes to all of us. Because God is sovereign, God is providential, and God is good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for chapter 39 of Genesis. I thank you for the fact that Joseph went through it, and we didn't. I thank you, though, for the fact that Joseph was not only successful in Potiphar's house, in his works, in his resistance to sin, but I also thank you that Joseph was successful in prison, that Joseph was successful after prison, and that Joseph is an example so that we can be successful through your strength and power as well. God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in all of our lives, that you would help us understand what sin is, as, as you so eloquently explained in, in this section we looked at today. It's an offense against you, and Joseph knew it. It's not something to try to explain. It's not something to try to sneak by. It's something dangerous and bad and destructive for us, and you love us enough that you don't want us to do it. Help us trust you on that, God. Help us also trust that you'll take care of us perfectly as we walk in your will. Uh, I think we know that in our heads, but we don't always believe it. Help us to uh, see that happen so we can believe it more. And, and as we do, we know, like Diane, we'll become more and more excited about talking about our faith. And it will just happen more naturally because as we see your awesome works in and through our lives, we can't help but tell people about it. It's just who we are. We are yours. God, I pray that you would forgive us for any areas where we are walking in sin. And I pray that you would encourage us and equip us to walk fully in your will that you would help us not question and doubt and complain, but to praise, and as we talked about before church, to give thanks. God, there is so much that we have to give thanks to you for. Help us see it, help us realize it, and help us glorify you with it. It's in your Son's precious name that we pray. Amen.